brand new, brand new. Welcome back to the Brain New Podcast. I'm your host, Milo Charbel, and this week we're going to be talking about neural networks. Last time we spoke a lot about BCIs or brain-computer interfaces, which are hardwares that are used to record the brain's electrical signaling. And with that, we can get a snapshot of what the brain's doing, more specifically what the neurons in our brains are doing. And having that data is great. However, we need to find a way to know what it is, to quantify it, to understand what it's telling us. We talked a little bit about how we can use pretty basic measurements to be able to tell what brain waves we're seeing in a certain part of the brain, how much power those brain waves are inputting. And that can kind of give us an example of how active that part of the brain is when we are asking a participant to do a certain task or presenting them with some stimulus. However, we can take it a step further. And looking at human speech has been a pretty incredible breakthrough in the science of EEG um, and neuroscience in general, because what we have been able to do and, and what is still being improved upon, we can record brain activity in areas of the brain that we know are associated with language and specific places of the brain that are associated with language production. And we can start to identify what words a participant is to speak before they even speak it. And so, as you can imagine, if done correctly, and if this actually ends up working, people who have suffered strokes or for some reason cannot produce speech anymore could greatly benefit from this ability to translate what the brain is doing into actual speech. But just simply on its own, this is a problem that will require quite a bit of processing power in order to correctly identify what's going on. And so neural networks are used to solve a variety of complex problems. Most commonly they're used in science and engineering to solve problems to help in some commercial or consumer setting. However, it's not uncommon to use them in a medical setting, such as translating speech. And neural networks are becoming a more prominent feature of our biomedical and, and medical systems that we're using today. This field of machine learning and neural networks is fascinating and they're ironic because they're inspired by biological animal brains and how they function. And so we're creating an artificial neural network to decipher the data that's being output by our own neural networks, our organic neural networks. And that to me is mind boggling. It's insane how we can even begin to do that. However, it's also humbling because we start to realize that our brains, however complex they are, are simply just millions of neurons communicating with one another in a very linear form, input to output. And so understanding that basic building block, that neuron, helps us understand our own brains, but also to understand neural networks in general. So like I was just talking about, this basic building block, this neuron, has an input which it will receive from layers before it, and it has its, its own body, which in the case of an artificial neural network will do some form of calculation to change input X into output Y. And that output is fed to another neuron in a different layer or multiple neurons in a different layer. So in a basic neural network, you have your input layer, which receives data from whatever input you're putting into the neural network. 
and then you have an output layer which will produce a result. And in between these two layers, there can be one, two, five, ten, hundreds of what are called hidden layers, which do varying mathematical calculations to the data that varies on the type of problem that you have, the type of neural network that you have, and that is what really does the driving work behind producing an output. And so the larger the hidden layers that you have, you get into what is known as deep learning. And these types of neural networks are used to solve very complicated problems, problems that are very quick to change and require a lot of uh, robust predictive value. So that's a little confusing to think about, especially because uh, I can't really sh show anyone anything to kind of make sense of what I'm, what I'm talking about. So for example, let's take the, a picture of a circle, very basic, and let's feed that picture of a circle to our artificial neural network. So every pixel will get assigned a value and our input layer will receive that value and it'll feed that to our hidden layer. Our hidden layer will then perform some calculation on whatever data it received and then it'll then assign it a weight and send it out to our output layer and our output layer will then give us an output. So in the very first run, if you feed a circle to let's say some artificial neural network and you ask it for a picture in return, it probably, most likely, will not return a picture of a circle. It might look like a square, it might look like a triangle or some weird shape. And so neural networks need to be taught how to decipher data. And so for this neural network, we would give it the correct output. And as a result, it would backpropagate and it would correct the weights between each neurons until it arrived at the right answer. And what we do during this training method is we would keep feeding the neural network images of circles and squares, and we'd keep giving it the right output until it was able to correctly identify what the input was most of the time. And so when that network is sufficiently trained, we can then just give it data and it'll give us an output that we can be confident is what we want. So Google Images actually uses a neural network like this and I was talking a little bit about Google's search engine, how it uses neural networks and why it's so amazing because it's, it's such a great neural network that it can take your search and someone else's search and they can be completely different wordings of the same thing and it can give you results that are very specific to exactly what you want. And it's pretty crazy. And Google Images does the exact same thing, however, with images. And it takes that example like what I was talking about, and then actually applies it to very complex images. And so, and so you can do a reverse image search if you've ever tried it. If you go to Google Images, you can click on an image on your desktop or whatever it is, and you can drag it on, and it will then search the internet for anything that looks similar to it. So let's say you have a picture of a book. You can take that and you can drag it onto Google Images, and it will return images of books. And so basically what happened is it saw that input and over millions, millions and millions of, of trial and error and learning, it can correctly identify within seconds or really milliseconds, it can correctly identify that that's a book and it can pull other images, millions of other images of books. And I was talking a little bit about the, the way neural networks are set up um, and I'm gonna call them the architecture. That's what engineers who design these networks call them and there are tons of different types of architectures that are used to solve different types of problems in science and engineering. And if you're really interested, look up the architecture of neurons or the zoo of neural networks, and you'll find these beautiful drawings of these nodes, these neurons being connected to each other in a variety of different ways. 
And each of these designs are specific to certain types of problems, thanks to researchers who have used them over and over and over and who have basically proved that they're very useful for those specific types of problems. So now getting back to the crux of what we're trying to talk about here and using these to decipher what the brain's doing, specifically for speech, because we're going to use that as an example next time. Using neural networks to identify speech and basically create a coherent sentence just by picking up signals from the speech part of the brain isn't new. However, when you think about speech, there's a lot of nuance in it. The way that I'm speaking now, my intonation, how fast I'm going, where I'm putting emphasis, my emotion. And so being able to identify what words are being spoken is a lot different than being able to identify how the words are going to be spoken. And so that's kind of one of the biggest problems we have in creating neural network architectures that can solve this problem of being able to deliver speech by using inputs from the brain the same way a human would be able to out of their own mouths. And solving this problem is far from over. However, very recently there has been quite an incredible discovery in creating in creating speech that is spoken at the same rate of human speech. And we're gonna have a speech pathologist on next time to talk about the relevance of that and how important it is. And just this idea of using this to solve problems in human speech, uh, the, the ways in which we can use them in the future and how this outlook looks like for patients with, with problems like these, what these patients look like, their struggles and how this is going to help them. So hopefully next time you're out and about or using Google Translate or Google's new feature to take a picture of a word in a certain language and have it translated back to you, you'll start to think about how that's actually being done and think about other ways in, in your normal daily routine where neural networks are actually at play and how they've been creating such a quick and fast paced and easy life for us and the future that they may hold once we start to become better and better at using them to solve everyday problems. So I hope you enjoyed this little mini-sode about neural networks. I hope you continue to, to listen on on our journey to decoding the human brain and I hope you tune in with us next time when we talk to a speech pathologist about neural networks and a recent discovery done to help decode speech in a way that is the same as someone speaking it. If you love this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Make sure to leave a review and go to our website at www.brainnewpodcast.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-N-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Com. We'd love for you to subscribe there so we can keep up with you and send you some really cool research that you might find interesting. As always, thank you so much for listening. See you next time.